Good morning, Midland Free. Thank you so much for joining us today to worship in this unique way. Surely the early church had their own experience within one another's homes, and no doubt wherever you're at right now, it's a different thing for you, but we're so glad that you're faithful and consistent and here to worship God with us together um, in this special way. So let me pray for us. My name is Pastor Jeremy, and we're going to dive into the Word here in a few minutes, and I think I have some very encouraging stuff to say, not from me, but from God himself and his word. So let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you so much for today, Lord. We know that um, you know everything, that you have uh, heaven and earth in the palm of your hand, and that um, nothing that has happened today or this week or anywhere else in the world is a surprise to you. And so we pray that as we... Uh, do ministry in a different way and we live in a different way and our normal schedules and lives are disrupted that you would give us the grace to depend on your sovereignty to share your hope to be the light for others who live in darkness and to bring you all the honor and glory and praise in jesus name we pray amen so this week as the events began to unfold. Um, it was interesting to watch from our perspective as a congregation or church of people what we would do initially on Wednesday. Our board met and we were planning to have services with all these precautionary measures. And then, of course, uh, Friday afternoon, the governor's order went out and we are doing live stream now instead of um, congregational traditional worship in our setting. And, of course, that's a disruption for me as a pastor. It's a disruption for us as a church. But as we prayed and thought about that, the image that came to my mind was the Lincoln Monument. And I know that's just our human sort of picture of someone sitting on the throne and God is not brought down to such a low space as that. And yet, even so, I could think about how, if that were the case with him, that he would be seated so much higher than anything we could possibly imagine. He would be sitting there. He would be comfortable. He would be happy. He would be in control. And he wouldn't be worried or afraid or concerned or upset or surprised by anything at all. He saw this coronavirus coming from a long ways off. He knows the outcome. And it's all part of the plan. And I myself have no idea what God is doing. Yet, I trust that he does. And so I'm just looking forward to seeing how this moves his gospel and develops his plan for humanity. There's certainly been big events in the past that have changed things. We don't know what this will be, but we do know this, that God is good, God is in control, and Jesus wins. Amen? Amen. I think I heard everyone from their home all the way back here. So, how might I encourage you this morning? I actually think that what I've come upon this week in 1 Peter chapter 4 is probably one of, if not the most encouraging things I've ever read in Scripture in my entire life. There are many encouraging things. There's Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that's really important for the forgiveness of our sins and our future, but 
as I look at this, I see this as right up there with it. That this promise makes all the difference in the world to me and to you. So let me read to you then from 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, where it says this. If you have your Bibles at home, we encourage you to open them up and look at them because we'll be going back and forth to them. They'll also be on your screens as well. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 says this. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. And with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who have gone on before us or those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way that God does. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So how do you draw encouragement from that, Pastor Jeremy? Well, let me show you. The text begins with two words. The text begins with the two words, since, therefore. And essentially, I think this is what I'm going to build the whole sermon on today. You'll see more stuff in this passage. But what this is doing as we transition from the first three chapters into the fourth is it's saying, since, therefore, or basically dependent upon everything you heard back, he- back there, up here in chapters one through three, based on your high calling based on the fact that you are elect, based on the fact that you're chosen, that you're special, that you're a royal priesthood, that God has a plan for your life and he's in control of all things, based on that, therefore this, since therefore, because of, do this. Now, let me remind you, in short, what we said was sort of the summary of what Jesus did that happens to us. And that's what theologians call this thing called the conformity pattern. Here's a slide or a slide of that. And essentially the idea is in the conformity pattern that as with Jesus, so too with us. The simplest way to say it is what happened to Jesus happens to us. Like in every way. Jesus suffered, we will suffer. Jesus was persecuted, we will be persecuted. Jesus dies. We will die, maybe not on the cross, but we will die. And yet Jesus was resurrected, and so too will we who believe in him be resurrected as well. And that definition then goes on to say that basically technically saying that that Christ's experience and his activity is prototypical for believers. In other words, as with Jesus, so too with us. 
Now, probably for the five of you who are sitting out there today, you're already sitting there saying, okay, I got this. I understand. In fact, I might even try to live some of this out. For example, if someone sins against me, what should I do? I should turn the other cheek or I should forgive. If as Christ forgave me, so too should I forgive others. I get that. And so I start to look at all these things that Jesus did. He walked on water. He turned water to wine. He did miracles. He forgave everybody. He never did anything wrong. And I step back for a minute and I go, oh, man. How is this ever going to happen? That's impossible. Jesus was perfect. How is it that I, a fallen, sinful, imperfect, prone to mess up human being, am ever going to do exactly what he did? That's discouraging. And so I put this graphic up here. Here's a picture of a train and the followers. And I think we understand this sort of thing. Like as human beings, as employees, as people in some sort of relationship where we have leadership in our life, we understand that the leader goes in a certain direction and we're supposed to follow in their tracks. And so if Jesus goes in a certain direction, we're supposed to follow in his steps. Jesus forgives, we're supposed to forgive. Jesus is holy, we're supposed to be holy. But we're not, and it's so discouraging because we hear the first part of the conformity pattern, but we don't hear the second. And the first part is essentially what I would call, and listen, because these are going to sort of rhyme or sound similar. The first part is an imperative or a command. We get the idea that as Jesus did, so too should we. We get that. And so we're like, okay, as Jesus, so why should I forgive? Well, because Jesus did. Or why should I be holy? Because Jesus did. I get that. But there's not a lot of depth to that reasoning. I mean, it's just sort of like, he did it, therefore you should do it too. Okay, ho-hum, mm, I'm not doing it. Bummer. What's wrong with me? But here's the encouragement. Here's the other piece, the other side of the coin, the other piece of the equation that we miss so often is that the conformity pattern is not, here's a picture, slide of it. The conformity pattern is not just an imperative, but it's a promise. It's not just a command, but it's an assurance. It's not just a guilt trip. It's an encouragement. You see, what the Bible is saying, since therefore, based on the fact that Jesus suffered and was perfected, so too who you who follow him will suffer, but will be perfected as well. The conformity pattern calls us, yes, to live like him, but it assures us that not only... Are we called to live like him? But if we do so, that eventually we will be like him. Let me rub that in in the text just a little bit. Um, Melissa Odell, I'm going to skip ahead to um, 1 Peter 4, verse 6. And this is kind of a tricky part of this text. And for those of you who are really into um, theology and stuff like that, you'll appreciate this. But what it says is this, and first, we're going to go to the full verse. In 1 Peter 4, verse 6, the full verse that we read at the start. 1 Peter 4, 6 says this, For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, 
that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way that God does. Hmm. Now, what does that mean? Didn't you tell us last week, Pastor Jeremy, that Jesus did not go to purgatory or to Hades or hell and preach to the dead? So what is this text saying? It just says the gospel is preached to the dead. Well, the text is right. It's true. The gospel has been preached to the dead. In fact, yesterday we did a funeral here at our church, and that was the assuring fact that the person who had gone on before us had indeed heard the gospel, had believed the gospel, had lived the gospel, shared it with other people, and we knew for certain that we would see her again. The fact that the gospel was preached to the dead is the assurance of our eternal salvation and that we will be with them forever. This is why that gospel was preached, so that they could have hope, so that they could know that the conformity pattern, the promise is true. Yes, we are called to be like Jesus, but... We are assured that even when we are judged in the flesh, that's what death is. Death is a judgment. Death is a result of sin. Death is God's promise. When we break the covenant, his law of perfection, that we won't live forever. And we can't live forever. There is only one who suffered death who didn't have to. And his name was Jesus. And he took our death on him. And by taking his death on him and switching out our sin for his righteousness, doing the exchange, doing the swap, as a result, we can live forever. And that's an encouragement. That's why we preach the gospel. And that's why the people who've gone on before us and have believed in it have hope that they might live in the spirit the way that God does. They're not living the way we do right now in the flesh. They're in a, they're, you see the casket. You know they're gone. But where are they? They're somewhere else. They're living in spirit the way that God does. That's what's going on here in First Peter chapter one or chapter four, verse six. And I wanted you to see that because it's a little bit tricky, but also because it's an encouragement to us. Now, one of the questions that was asked to me before that funeral. And also, even that I experienced with my own father who had early onset Alzheimer's, is that what about when you get to the end and you begin to forget? I mean, perhaps you're on pain medication, narcotics, or this or that, and you don't remember Jesus. You don't remember that you're a Christian. You don't know what a Bible is or what to do with it, and you're sitting there and the and the loved ones who are looking for that assurance are asking, uh-oh, what now? Because we were told that if you believe in Jesus, you live forever, but this person doesn't even believe in Jesus. My answer is this. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says that his sheep know him, and they know his voice, and they follow him. But it also says that there's nothing that can take them out of his hand. And that's so important because that means even we ourselves can't take ourselves out of his hand. What happens is that even if we forget Jesus, Jesus never forgets us. Even if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. If we have joined his team, he will not let us down. And that is why it's such an encouragement. Going back to the original outline now in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, Look, 
This is why the gospel was preached. This is why. Because even though we fail, God's promises never will. Let me say that again. If you were at home and you took a drink of coffee at that moment or you looked away because somebody's making noise, listen up. Here it is. Even though we fail, God's promises never will. I just heard amens all throughout Michigan. Even though we fail, God's promises never will. We need Christ's victory because we can't win on our own. We have no hope. But because of Jesus' victory, we have the guarantee of perfection. Can you believe that I am this audacious to say this to you? I will be perfect someday. My family knows that is a bold statement. My kids know, wow, he's really going out on a limb there. For as many times as we've seen our dad mess up and make a mistake and get mad and blow it and have to say he's sorry and sometimes not even get that far, we know he's not perfect. But yet the Bible shows us since therefore, based on Jesus and what he did and God's promises to us, we will be. And so it goes beyond the imperative. The imperative is the command. Yes, that's great. But it moves from the imperative to the promise. From the imperative to the promise. And it's actually the promise that enables the imperative. Why should I keep going? If I mess up and blow it and fall down, why don't I give up? I failed. What's the point? The only reason is because of the promise. Because Christ promised that I will be perfect, then I can keep going and I can keep trying. And even when I mess up, it's going to be okay. In other words, it doesn't rest on me. It rests on him and his shoulders and his arms are big enough to carry the weight of the entire world. It is the promise that enables the imperative. Sometimes in our church, I've said things like, at the beginning of um, a series, you'll see that there's lots of theology, or there's lots of indicative, there's lots of teaching. And at the end of the letter, at the end of the New Testament letter, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Corinthians, whatever, then you see all the imperatives. Why? I used to tell people it's because the indicative precedes the imperative, which is cool. Teaching comes before commands. But I realized this week that really what the big deal is, it's just about the understanding. It's not just about the teaching, but it's about the promise, It's about the guarantee. It's about the fact that Jesus is driving this thing home. Look at this graphic one more time. Here's a picture of Jesus, our leader our archagos, the one who is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the leader. Remember, the other slide said leaders and followers, but now we're more specific. We say Jesus and Jesus' followers. And yeah, it's true that we need to follow in his footsteps and do like he does. That's the imperative. But it's also true, if you look at a train, they're going down the track because the engine is pulling them. It is the engine that is driving this thing. And as our leader, it is actually Christ who's getting us to the destination. His perfection guarantees our own. It's not my efforts, it's on him. Yes, I have to try. Yes, I have to do my best. There's no excuse for laziness or apathy or anything else. But the encouraging fact is that that link that is holding me to him, I am coupled to him by the Holy Spirit, which cannot break. 
The Holy Spirit is so much stronger than any iron or any other thing that holds a train together. It is intrinsic to us. It is inside of us. And it is bonding us spiritually to Jesus himself. Because the Trinity is united, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it will never break apart. Therefore, we are indelibly united to Christ. If the Spirit is in us, Jesus is not going to break away from the Spirit and leave the Spirit or His people behind. We are united to Him. And that's why the text begins. Look, look, in 1 Peter 4.1, it says this, Since, therefore, based on the fact that you are united to Him, therefore, based on the fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, He suffered in this way. Arm yourselves with this way of thinking. This is the way you're to think. It's victorious. It's powerful. It's a guarantee. It's not, oh, hum, it depends on me. And shoot, I hope I win. And I don't know what's going to happen. And maybe, just maybe. No, it's a promise. And it is the promise that compels the imperative. And I don't know where you're sitting today. And I don't know what you're doing. I know that encourages me. And maybe, just maybe, this sermon was only for me. Okay, then that's good enough. But I think it might encourage you too that in fact, based on the reality that God is good, God is in control, and Jesus wins, that means we do too. This is one of the most important things you'll ever hear. The first thing is that Jesus died and rose from the grave. The next thing is, if you're united to him, everything's going to be okay. Coronavirus, World War III, nuclear holocaust, whatever. Christ will come back and redeem the world. For me, that's perhaps one of the most encouraging things ever. And I don't, I don't really know how this works or how I remember it. But I desperately wanted to re- want to remember the fact that the promise enables the imperative. I think we can hang the whole rest of our lives on this. Yes, we are to be like Jesus. Go, run, fight, win, try, do, absolutely. But never forget that in all our striving, in all our toil, in all our effort, it is not on us, but it's on him. And it is his promise that enables our command. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh victoriously, arm yourselves with this way of thinking. No matter how many times you mess up, if you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus, he will not give up on you. Through Alzheimer's, through dementia, through cancer, divorce, whatever terrible thing you can think of, God is there. He doesn't forget. He never grows old or weary. He never faints. He is the everlasting God. The sufferer becomes the victor. And as with Jesus, so too with us. Wherever you're sitting out there today, whatever you're doing, ask yourself this question. Do I believe the promises of God? Do I believe that what Jesus says is true? If that is the case, if you're a believer, then arm yourself with this way of thinking, man. Jesus suffered, and that's why the gospel was preached. Even to those who have gone on before us. You see, in this context, in 1 Peter chapter 4, 
what had happened is Jesus had only died not too long ago. So there would have been a generation who remembered him. And if there are people who didn't believe in Jesus, they would have been mocking the people who did. And they would have been saying to them, hey, look, that king, that Christ of yours, that one you said rose from the dead, he said he's coming back. Where is he? Your mom and dad have died and he never came back. I guess he didn't come back for them. His promises have failed. Where is the kingdom that he said is supposed to be here now? And you, if you're a Christian, may even hear other Christians joke like that. But the reality we know is that God's timing is not our timing. His ways are not our ways. If you've ever asked him for something, you know that's the case. If you watch children and parents, you know that's the case too. They're anxious to get what they ask for right away. But parents have a better plan most of the time. But God has a better plan all the time. Have his promises failed? No. Absolutely not. So therefore, live the rest of your time in the flesh, not for human passions, but the waste of time, but for the will of God. You have plenty of time to do that other stuff, but now, thinking about what's coming that's so much better, live for this. And if you live for God now, you will live like Him forever. But if you try to live like God now, you will not live forever. That's what the rest of this text is essentially saying. It talks about Gentiles and their passions, the way they seek to fulfill themselves and go after pleasure and blah, blah, blah. Reality is, you're just trying to be God. Make up your own mind, do whatever you want, and enjoy it, and say, to heck with the rest. But that's not our role. Our role as followers is to follow the leader. And therefore, with both the promise and the imperative, we put those two together and say, yes, Jesus wins. We'll be like him. So let's go. Why put on the brakes if the engine's pulling us? Let's hang on and enjoy the ride. Yeah, it can be bumpy. It'll be uphill and around the corner. and We won't know what's coming. There's probably going to be rain and storms and scary tracks. But Jesus wins. And so then, if that's the case, for the rest of the time that we're alive, whatever that may be, we don't know. We live no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. We live for the will of God. We will live like Him forever. But if we live for the will of humanity, we will not live forever. Jesus wins. Jesus made a way. And I don't know if you've invited, hopefully so, maybe a neighbor over to listen to this message or not. If you have, they're probably looking at this and scratching their head thinking, what in the world's going on with you Christians? Well, a lot. We believe in Jesus and that changes our life. Gives us hope. It gives us encouragement. It gives us a reason to keep going and not quit. And we don't know where you're at today what's going on or how this thing has impacted you, but we hope that you have that too. And so if you've never, ever believed in Jesus, we invite you in this moment in the quietness of your home to tell Jesus you believe in him. Now talking to him may seem a little bit weird because he's not sitting next to you, but we Christians call that praying. And basically what we do is we just share our hearts with him. You can do that audibly or in your head. 
And one of the things we have to realize is when we look at our hearts, they're sinful. They're dirty and yucky, violent, and not good. And we look in and we say, dear Jesus, please forgive us. You were perfect. We're not. We were commanded to be, but we can't. And so we're going to believe that based on your perfection and based on your sacrifice and righteousness, that will actually be enough to cover our sin. You died in our place so that we can live with you forever. And by believing in your resurrection, we can have eternal life just like you. If you're in your homes or you're with one of your friends, we'd encourage you to do that, to pray that prayer right now, to talk to someone. If you've got questions, to come back, listen online next week, whatever the case may be. But remember the promises of God. Since therefore, since therefore, Based on this, arm yourself with this victorious way of living. Believing in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That God is good. God is in control. And Jesus wins. Father, we thank you and praise you so much. For your perfect way. And your will in our life. Lord, we had no idea how things would go this week, and we are certainly surprised by all that's going on in the world. But you are not. We thank you and praise you, for you are good, and you reign in power. And Lord, we ask that you would share your grace with us as we go throughout this week and try to share our faith with others. Lord, bless our efforts Make the imperative possible and help us to believe in your promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jeremy.